Hello again and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer and everything in that spectrum. Today I have a super special guest. I'm so glad we were able to put our schedules together and make this happen. And I'm going to let her introduce herself. I'm Jax Meyer and I write lesbian romances. I like to focus on characters that are typically not represented, which is why this podcast is amazing. Because we tend to think of representation right now often just as like, oh, there are lesbians. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Uh, versus getting into like the details of what type of people are in books. And so um, this, I'm pretty excited to talk about all sorts of things, representation and books and queer stuff and see where this goes. And you are in the right place because those are all the things that I love to talk about. Yes. <laughs> So, tell us, tell the, tell the listeners more about yourself, because we were talking earlier before, and you are a very, very interesting person. I would say I try, but I don't, right? I just live my life. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, at this point in 2019, I'm 40. I grew up in rural Wisconsin, um, really in the middle of nowhere, and so that always shapes a, a certain part of myself. Um, my adult life, almost all of it's been spent in cities. Um, so I have this dual dichotomy of the rural life and kind of what that is and kind of what type of people are there and our mentality, but also kind of understanding the bigger city world and all those benefits of both of those worlds, small and big. Um, once I graduated high school. So like in high school, I played a ton of music. Um, I did martial arts. I taught karate even, um, from the time I was about 12. Um, you taught so, karate at 12? Yeah. So I started at about eight and it was pretty easy for me. And I'm just kind of a, I'm an old soul type of person and just really took to it. So by the time I was 12, I was helping t assistant teach. Um, by the time I was about 15 or 16, I would just teach the whole class. Um, and then I'd have my own classes as well. We'd just do homework in the back, and that's the fun of small town life. Um, oh, I was about to say, I mean, it <laughs> sounds like to me like you're a very dangerous person to jump in an alley. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I, I've never found out. Um, I hope I you never theories, do. <laughs> but but the, the cool part is, even though I grew up in a very small area, my parents gave me as many opportunities as they possibly could because they both came from large families, not a lot of money. So they didn't have the opportunities. So I was able to do all the sports I wanted, do all the music I wanted. Um, and we happened to have one karate school. And um, I'm still friends with my old instructor to this day. Um, you know, he was the most formative person in my life because um, so speaking of representations, um, as an adult, I like in my 30s, I finally realized that I'm on the autistic spectrum. Um, I've always been very shy and very introverted. Um, and karate was the first thing that really helped take me out of my shell. And because you can't not talk and be able to run a class or any of that. So that was really the first formative thing to start giving me that confidence and that boost um, and kind of tapping into a different mindset. And then um, as I got into music, music's another thing that comes pretty dang easily to me. And I just loved it. Like it, it again is another thing that got me out of my head, at least to a certain extent. Um, I'm never not fully out of, yeah, fully out of my head. Um, 
but it helps. And then, um, so then in school, um, I had to make a choice, like, do I want to do um, science-based, because I always had this dream of working for NASA, <clears throat> and I love physics and all that stuff, so I was like, okay, I'm either going to do science or I'm going to do music, which I'd been planning for ages. Finally realized, okay, realistically, I'm not cut out to do this music thing full-time. So I went and went off to college, um, for did a year where I was deciding between physics and engineering, and in that year, it was pretty formative because, so my senior year of high school, this would have been 1997, and there are going to be people that are listening going, wow, that was forever ago. <laughs> um, and I'm like, eh, sure. You'll discover that time goes really fast as an adult. Um, oh my God. So... <laughs> no, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. It's, it's weird. Like 20 years doesn't feel like 20 years, it's, which is probably a good thing. Um, but 1997 is when Ellen came out. And 1997 oh was when I finally went, oh, oh, I'm like super fucking gay. Like, <laughs> so, but growing up in a small town, very in my head. Um, and at that time, we really didn't talk about sexuality at all. I mean, I knew about like Elton John. Um, I have vague memories of, of things occasionally like it coming up, but it's not like it is now. I mean, the, so you could very easily be 18 years old and not realize that you you actually have a crush on your you know softball teammate not that guy in band class like that those are very different things and so that time of like being 18 was and 19 was pretty big for me so I went off to school 500 miles away from home that is where I actually met my first girlfriend and my now wife so um even and yet we met on the internet in her hometown. Um, so that's amusing. Um, went off to school, said, oh, school is actually kind of boring right now. And since I was a little kid, I had had this like strong connection to the military. And I didn't enlist straight out of high school because I had asthma. And then I was like, well, so that's a bad idea. Then I was getting bored in college and reached out to the recruiters anyway and said, hey, I have asthma, but I don't take medication. What do you think? And the Marine recruiter's like, we just won't tell them. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Nice. <laughs> so That's we went so nice. <laughs> like, this is how, if, it, it, it's, it was really the beginning of the don't ask, don't tell policy called, if they, if, if, even if they do ask, you just don't tell them and see what happens. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> it applies to a lot of things in life. Um, but that, that was the big thing. So at that time, he never asked. I didn't bring it up. And I just knew this was something I needed to do. So that um, began like the next kind of key part of my life and has a huge influence in the books I've written so far. Um, because the don't ask, don't tell policy put a lot of things really into focus for me. And that's one, I suck in the closet. Two, yes. policies like that are pure garbage. And um, the current trans ban is is the same. It's pure garbage. It sets people up to fail. I don't even um, understand why it like okay, let's let's pretend this wasn't a transphobic homophobic problem. Let's pretend right. that that had nothing to do with it like they're pretending it does. How? How so, how does it even make sense for someone who is claiming that they're not prejudiced against those people? Oh, they don't, though. That's the thing. Exactly. So you have to go back in, in, in time, which I just did the other day, because so I'm writing um, 
so for people who don't know, so I've got um, three books out right now. The first two, the main character is very similar to me, but she's way cooler and um, <laughs> can handle life a lot better than I can a lot of ways um, because that's how writing works. <laughs> for me, the fantasy is, is less about, oh, they fall in love and all this. Like, no, no, this is pretty realistic. It's the, oh, she could just talk about her feelings sometimes or whatever, right? Like, that's way more fantasy world than <laughs> than a lot of the other things in books to me. <laughs> um, but I write it well, so it's fine. Um, so the main character, Cam, is an autistic, butch, lesbian. And in the first book, Del Segno, she's 40-ish and um, recovering still five years after the, the loss of the love of her life. And um, there's still parts of having to spend... 15 years basically always with one foot in the closet that you know still affects her to that at that time in her life and then I wrote the prequel a marine awakening um where we go back 20 years to being in the military and how hard it was to be young you're kind of you know for lack of a a a better phrase you're kind of in your like sexual awakening for most people 19 years old or so you're like you have freedom you finally have figured yourself out and you have to hide all of that and worse if you're like me you're surrounded by people that like tick all of your goddamn buttons for attractiveness strong women in uniform is like freaking crack oh my god how long were you in the military (laughs) well so for me I was in for one year, 10 months, and 10 days. I managed to survive until around January, um, heading towards my second year. And I even I still have the piece of paper where I said, look, I'm giving myself one more year because I'm not going to make it. Like, I need to find an, a way out safely um, to save my sanity because during the early time, we had a lot of freedom. Freedom. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I would say there were always there were probably a good handful of women in training. So we were in our school. This is after boot camp and everything where we're learning our jobs where there was always a good handful of people that would be jumping rooms and were not sleeping in their own bed. Um, granted, there are a lot of straight women in the military. And I mean, that it's I don't want to push a narrative that isn't true but there are a lot of lesbians too i mean (laughs) it's logical there's a lot of bi women and pan women and even though pan wasn't even a thing then um but i mean there was just you know we were young shit happened um and so it was relatively easy then like you were paranoid you worried about things but you could manage it but then I got out to the fleet. And so the fleet is just where you're like in a normal unit and doing your job like the real military. I ended up stationed in the only air wing unit that doesn't have any aircraft, which was incredibly sad for me anyway. Because that was the whole point of joining the air wing was to be among things that go fast and are loud and awesome. <laughs> and then um, I end up in a unit where it probably would have been okay. Like, looking at some of the other people there, it would have been fine, but there was one super homophobic staff sergeant. And I learned after I got sick of the stress and the pressure and, like, feeling like, man, I couldn't do a single thing right, that he reported his own brother and got his own brother kicked out. So, I mean, this is a complete asshole. Um, so, you know, it was a stressful time, and 
I'm one of those people that I'm like, if things suck for too long, I'm going to bail. Unless I know, like, there needs to be a really good reason. Like, life sucks at a lot of times. But, like, I don't sit in relationships that aren't going to work. Um, I don't put up with people where I'm like, you know what, I'm just kind of over this. I'll find a way out. It won't be graceful. It won't involve good communication or anything remotely adult-like. But I will get out of it somehow. <laughs> I mean, most of that sounds pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a lot easier to write characters that are a lot more adult than I am. I'm like, oh, cool. I wish I was this cool or this mature and just say, hey, I need to talk about something. That'd be great. But instead, I, I write characters that do that better than I do, and then I try to learn from them. Um, wow. So, okay. So I'm like, what am I talking about? My freaking story. Um, so, so that was a, a huge formative part of my life. I mean, I'm still digging myself out from the baggage of that just under two years of my life now, 20 years later. Um, after that, then I, I ended up going back to college. Um, I did not have my GI bill. Um, that was the one thing that sucked. I got out a year and a half, oh my, sorry, a month and a half before I would have had my veterans benefits, but we didn't know the lawyers didn't know. And if I'd waited a month and a half, who knows what would have happened? I might've gotten busted and then my life would have been infinitely more difficult. As it was, I came out in a letter. I actually posted the letter on my my author website and the blog. If anyone wants to read what it's like to come out in the military during Don't Ask, Don't Tell um, with a lot of awesome, look, careful lawyer speak, uh, because we just simply set, set it up as I'm admitting to being a homosexual. I am not admitting to doing anything. I'm not admitting to homosexual acts. And actually, it was very strategic because we didn't want any investigations and we didn't want anyone else to get caught up in this. This was, I need to save my sanity and I need to save my reputation in essence. Because if you get busted for something, now instead of getting an honorable discharge, you could get something less. And that follows you for the rest of your life as well. How does it follow you? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so, not oh, in no, military, it's, so I don't know. Oh no, it's, it's cool. Most people aren't. So... There are times when people ask about your veteran status, um, and especially when you're applying for jobs and you're like, oh, yeah, this is what I did, right? So you, you have your resume and you talk about the stuff you did. And even if you're not doing the same the same job, it's, you know, you want to use it as like kind of character and just like, hey, I know things. I don't know. Um, and so it can come up where people want verification of veteran status. Well, verifying that with the paperwork shows why you got kicked out and it shows uh, some people just they won't hire someone without an honorable discharge if it's less than because that shows a character issue so it's it's one of those things that it depends on what you want to do and especially when you're 20 21 years old you don't even know what you want to do so you need to preserve that that honorable veteran discharge status can i have a link to that letter that you said you had on yeah. your blog yep because I would uh, like, if it's okay with you, I would like oh, to no, share that. No, it's po it's been posted and it's on my personal blog. It's just I, I've, um, there was a good period of time where I actually made some sort of attempt to hide my blog. And I still kind of do. Like, it's more just from my family. It's not truly hidden. But that way when I vent about people, <laughs> then I don't have to worry about um, family you know, reading the I mean, same that's thing. That's what hopefully. Twitter's for almost, right? <laughs> yes. And the, the thing is, it's just hard to hide really. And I suck at hiding. It's really destroying my life. I, I don't hide. And realistically, like, 
yeah, you look at me and you're like, of course you're super gay. Um, <laughs> it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm so beyond over any attempt at hiding. So I don't stress on it. Um, so yeah, so then as an adult, I've done cool things too that all sound way cooler than what they actually are. But if we're going to play the I've done cool stuff game, I did finally work at NASA um, after I got my master's in physics. Um, I got to train flight controllers and astronauts on how to run the procedures t- for different systems on the space station. That's amazing. Like I said, sounds way cooler, but I get to check off that I had a, I, I fulfilled a dream, and I got the experience of doing it. Um, it There were a- other aspects of the job that didn't work well, and now I can recognize that it's actually probably related to the autism and processing audio um, because – in mission control. So like you can actually turn on like NASA TV and you can see the people in mission control. Everyone's got their little headphones on and it's like super quiet, but in those headphones, it's not, there are multiple people talking at once. It's, it's a nightmare for my brain. (laughs) So it didn't work out, but I'm glad I did it. It's super cool. And I've got some cool little swag and I got to have some neat experiences. So that's so I've done that. Pretty amazing. Like I mean, it is. I, I, NASA by itself sounds pretty amazing, but the fact that you completed one of your dreams, like that's fantastic. It it is. It's it's pretty awesome, and it was a it was a it was a growth experience for me to even have the courage to apply, because it was really kind of scary. But I made it work, which is kind of the story of my life. Um, and then since then, like, I went and worked in oil and gas processing seismic data. So companies knew where to drill. I needed a job as an environmentalist. It was a weird choice, but it worked. And it allowed us to get transferred finally up to Colorado, where we live now and where we love it. Um, so that worked out really, really well in the end. And then I ended up getting laid off, excuse me, from there. And um, now I'm a business owner. I'm with my an old friend of mine. We've got a little solar company started up in Colorado so that's my day job and then the writing I only started about a a year and a half ago um and and honestly I only started reading like lesbian romance typically around like December of like 2017 when I was so over the administration and life and how annoying it was that I was like, I'm going to read only about queer people from now on. And I've pretty well stuck to that now for the past year <laughs> and a half. Or two years, actually, on that front. I mean, I um, And it's turned you. into a writing career. So it's kind of awesome. So that's interesting. So what, what, prom- what made you want to write? It, I didn't know I would ever want to. Um, and so, so growing up even with all that music and everything I never once considered myself creative partly because I, I don't feel like I ever get into that like I don't know that creative flow state that people talk about um, the way we talk about creativity in the world is really interesting and it really excludes people that don't do it that way and so I randomly as like I don't know I was, I was in like eighth grade so 13 ish would write a story instead of paying attention in class because it moved too slowly. So I would, I wrote this probably awful story. It's in my basement somewhere oh my um, gosh. with me and my friends, like in a band. Um, but like being like teenagers in a band, it was totally like, you know, basically it was fanfic for our life. 
Um, <laughs> is the way I look at it. It's a total fantasy. And again, probably crap, but who cares? It kept me entertained. But then I didn't write again. Like I wrote a few poems, you know, you do a few things for homework, but no one ever taught me how to write. Not really in school. And it's probably better that they didn't because the whole idea of plotting and organizing what you're going to write does not work for me. I can't think that far ahead. But one day, again, like a year and a half ago, I had this dream. And the, and the dream was just some weird thing where like I was going to school, like college, which is weird. I'm like, I'm 40. I have a master's. I'm not going back to college. And I have a kid and a wife. And I'm like, this is just weird. But so I don't even always totally turn off in my dreams. It's interesting. But so in the dream, I show up and I'm like checking into some dorm or something. And in this office is my junior high band teacher. And one, that was weird. And and two, I all, what I really remember is this overwhelming feeling of like home, like, oh, wow, like, I'm so glad to see you. This feels like home. And that stuck in my head. And after reading, I, at that point, I'd read about 60 or so romance books already um, in the first couple months um, that it was it just really stuck is like, how does that even happen? What puts a person going back to college at 40? Um, I mean, they would have had a whole life by then. And and then, like, what is that kind of feeling? So I played around with it and being a completely inexperienced author, I blatantly robbed from my own life. Um, but I will say as much as I borrowed from my own life, it, all of my books are very much fiction. Um, it's like, you're not going to find, you'll find little snippets of my life in there because I've done a lot of weird, interesting things and they make for really great character things to play I mean, with. You worked at NASA. I'm sorry. Oh, that Continue. hasn't even been worked in anywhere. Um, that's the give, it time. give it time. Give it time. Exactly. I'm robbing all sorts of stuff because it's easier than me trying to fully create it from scratch. Um, I'm trying to work with my brain, not against it. So I, I was like, okay, well, what if she was divorced? I'm like, man, that would be messy. And it gets kind of weird. Like, I really don't want to put things like divorce in my head. <laughs> I don't blame um, you. If you're happy, just let yourself be happy. Right. Well, and, and, you know, life is complicated. So it's like, I don't want to live in that headspace for a while. And I did, still didn't know what I was doing. So, but I do have this really complicated experience um, with a, a, a woman that I met very briefly. Like we only knew each other really for about a month or so, like intensely um, while I was in the military. And then um, she died back in like 2006 and it deeply affected me. Um, and I know why now, but that gets into some really woo-woo stuff that um, pe half the people would go, I don't, you're crazy. No, 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 uh, I want to hear this. I don't, I don't believe anyone is really crazy. It's just a different can, way of thinking. Yeah, we could totally get into it at the end, and then you can decide what you want to do with it. Um, I do actually have <laughs> it written up in my personal blog. Um, I mean, if you want to share that too, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, grief. I totally can. Yeah, we could post a link and stuff. Um, but that's complicated. Um, so the relevant part is though, that I was like, that would make a lot of sense. So if you had this like epic love and you lost them for whatever reason, but, and like, but not a divorce, right? Like they're just, they're gone and you're just grieving and you're still trying to figure out your life. So now at 40, you're young enough that you can, that you've got time to figure things out, but you're also like, you know what? 
I need to figure out how to move on. So that's where I came up with this idea of a character like me, because I honestly wasn't, wasn't sure I had any clue how to write a neurotypical person. And so for people not familiar with that term, um, Asperger's is a very loaded term because the guy that came up with the term is like really problematic. Um, (laughs) And so people tend to go with autistic and like the autistic spectrum, but also there's a lot of like overlapping issues. So neurotypical and neurodivergent, I really like those terms because they are very umbrella, but also say a lot. Um, So for to write a neurotypical person made me freak out. Like, I'm like, I don't even know because I have no idea how neurotypical people work. That's kind of the whole story of my life is I don't understand people and I'm still trying to figure people out in life and myself. So how could I write a neurotypical character? And I'm going to take a quick drink. So I decided that I was going to create a character that I've never seen before on the page because I've read a few stories about autistic characters but they don't represent my experience with it. And also I, I've definitely read some stories with some really good butch characters. Um, the It's almost universal that the best butch characters are written by butch women or non-binary or whatever, right? I mean, so that makes sense. People with butch identities, right? You're, that's where I find the most nuanced characters. They have the most range of emotions and experiences. Um, and it i was like okay that i am um, that is something i could play with and through that learning experience i learned a lot about myself as well as just writing and trying to get into people's heads so now i had this start and i was just like okay i don't know what's going to happen i'm just going to kind of play with it and start writing some stuff and so i came up with this idea of like okay let's make this kind of a scenario happen I'm going to create this character named Cam and I'm going to send her to a community college where she's just taking a year off from life. So most professional jobs. So she works at, she worked at um, Lockheed Martin as an engineer. So most programs, most companies have programs where you could take a sabbatical and not lose your job. um, I imagine that she is way better with money than I am. So she had savings, Um, but also the life insurance policy from when her wife died while she was still active duty. So she could take a year and just focus on music and reconnect with the one thing that made her life work as a kid. And then she shows up and runs into her high school music teacher. And that kicks off this healing journey through the, both through music and through connecting with this woman, um, which makes it a bit of an age gap because there's like 12 years between them. I didn't want to make a huge age gap because that's really challenging for me. Um, and really just having music be the thing that gets Cam out of her head, helps her experience her emotions more easily. Um, and then also just, just helps her heal. Um, it was a really difficult book to write sometimes um, because like even like right now, like the emotions are like so close to the surface. It's kind of ridiculous and frustrating, um, but that is life. Um, but the book itself like is, is really all about that hope and healing and not actually really that sad. Um, like, so 
because I didn't want it. I don't want to make people sad to read it, uh, but kind of to show just this hope and healing process. And through that process, I actually was going through my own healing journey. Um, so that's kind of how this all just kind of happened. It literally just happened. I started writing. I was reading up on like point of view, learned about like third person versus first person and, you know, whether to keep it as a single point of view, which is what I ultimately chose to do because I wanted people to be purely in the experience of Cam. If, if the reader understood what the other characters were thinking, it wouldn't give the same impact as being in the head of someone who's autistic and trying to understand other people and understand themselves and, and all of that. Um, and so as I, I just basically like learned what I needed to know for the next step, I ended up, I read, um, so the author J J E for those people not familiar, um, Jay is a huge name in Lesvik and a really great writer. And she also writes these small little craft books to teach you how to write under her real name, Sandra Girth. They're invaluable. Um, but I had questions. And so I, I sent her a short, super respectful email and said, you don't have to answer. I know this is your job. You do this for a living. But I have a question about, I sent her like three paragraphs. And I said, I'm not sure that I'm understanding this like deep third point of view. And she was so ridiculously nice and sent me back some feedback, um, but also gave me a compliment saying that she liked my writing style. And I'm like, holy shit, Jay says she liked something I wrote, even though it's all <laughs> a couple paragraphs. Oh my God. And like that seriously was enough to keep me writing. Um, and I also at the same time was on this lesfic love slack group, which is still, that's my go-to place online in there. We have an aspiring authors channel and I basically just kept asking questions. I found some people that were willing to read kind of as I wrote to give feedback, um, and, and just encouragement. And a few months later I was sending stuff off to an editor and I'm like, I'm not sure how this happens still. And now it's been a year and a half and I've got three published books. I'm currently writing one and a half at the same time because they overlap and I'm co-writing one of the books with a person who just has been a reader for me. And it's ridiculously trippy and weird, but it just, it just, it just happens. I just keep taking one step at a time and learning what I need to know for that moment and trusting my instincts and my intuition um, as far as like the flow of the story and the character arc and development. And it works for most people. I've, obviously there are always people that are going to hate your writing, but I mean, in general, I've got a people, I make people pretty happy and make them think and I give them characters they haven't seen before and just kind of slowly chipping away at underrepresented people and characters through what I write. I mean, it sounds really, really interesting. What did you say was the title of your book, the first one? Uh, Del Segno, D-A-L-S-E-G-N-O. So it's a musical term that basically means you go back to this to the sign, which is a, another symbol, and then you you repeat that. And oh my so, gosh, that's so in clever. The, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, this is such a weird title, but it's so perfect because in it, not only is Cam going back to like her musical life and kind of repeating it, um, but um, 
also the the longer form is like at the, you there would be a different part and then you would have a different ending to that section of the of the piece and so for her it's like she's going back to her music but it's coming out with a different result where she's actually like really playing music now but also she's kind of she's going back to a relationship where originally that relationship was completely honorable as student and teacher and there was never anything weird um i like to stress that because that's not my thing um and then but now it's a completely different relationship at this point in time um basically there's just all these elements of her life and even um kind of closing out the chapter of her life with sharon her first partner all of that it's like coming around with a completely different result but in the end we're coming up with you know resolution for cam and for her life um so it's a it's one of those things where like musicians get it pretty quickly um other people we put a little tag that says everything changes the second time around um to give them kind of a hint but definitely some people have said that they looked up the term and they were like oh this is really cool (laughs) that's adorable i that's really interesting i'm gonna have to look it up yeah so it's i love my first book I also sometimes hate my first book. There's so many <laughs> things I would change about it, but that's the joy of a debut novel, right? Is you just have to write it and you have to put it out there and do the best you can and then that's it. <laughs> and now that it's an audiobook, that's really that's it because I can't change anything. It would take it out of sync with the audiobook. Um so there were definitely some things that are in there where I go, "Yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea." Um, like a lot of names I just totally robbed from like people I knew from the military, but I really didn't know them. It literally is just like, Hey, this is a cool sounding name. So, you know, if they ever Google themselves, they may accidentally find a book with a character named that same thing. I mean, when you think Uh, about it, there's not like, there's, there's like what, six billion people in the world? Exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, they can't all have different names. I mean, how many John Smiths are there out there? It's just ridiculous. Well, and that's funny because so when I was writing my second book, no, I'm writing my third book um, that I just released, which is out of that camp, out of Cam's world. It's a, just a separate series. I realized not only in I in that book, I had two characters named John. I did spell them different. And then I also have a character named John in the first book. So clearly I like the name John. And I, I was like, either I need to put someone named John in every book now, or I need to stop using that name. I mean, it's I haven't basic. decided. It's it's a basic name. I mean, oh, it totally is. I mean, so it's it's funny. Most authors will say they have certain names or even like letter sounds with names that they go to as their default, and then they always have to fix it and rename people after. Oh my gosh, because <laughs> it gets too confusing. So names are the hardest. I usually like put a bunch of names in a hat and just pick one out and be like, okay, that's good. Like that I will use. Do. Yeah. So there's a, a website called names.com, I think. Um, it's really useful because it shows you even like when a name was in use. So, so I research weird things that probably no one cares about, but I, I, it's just, I want to be as accurate as possible when I'm writing, even when it's fiction. And so at first Cam, Cam was actually named Camille, um, because I really liked the name Cam, but there weren't Cameron for a girl's name wasn't very popular. Um, and so I looked it up and realized because i just i didn't want to use camille and looked it up and said wait no this is totally doable and so the timeline worked out so i switched it over to cameron pretty early 
Um, so I do like to make sure like things like that make sense. And even, um, when, um, like even just looking up the name Laura, which is the, the other character in Del Signo, like does, you know, did the popularity of the use of Laura make sense with her age? And then when I went, um, um, and then Cam's, uh, first basically wife is, um, Sharon Rodriguez, which is literally a woman I knew in boot camp. Um, and so, but totally not related, like I said. Um, but I just, I like the, the name and the combination, even though there's no real nickname for Sharon and that I kick myself for that all the time. But it was, uh, you know, like looking it up, realizing it's actually, there's a lot of Sharon Rodriguez's in the world if you Google it. And it's not what it's it's Sharon is an interesting name because it ends up in so many different cultural backgrounds. I know um, a woman in Australia and she's um, I don't know exactly where she, um, her ethnicity is from, but she's of Asian descent. And I've seen a lot of like Hispanic um, and Latino Sharons and like I have an aunt Sharon. We're super white. Like <laughs> it's a name that crosses so many like cultural lines. It was really interesting um, so, you know, I like to dive into names and like regions. So sometimes I'll even just Google like popular last names from like Minnesota or like, like from the regions too, so that it matches. Um, so what especially, is the most popular name from Minnesota? Um, there's a lot of like German and Norwegian, um, like Northern European names up there. And so sense. being, being from Wisconsin, I was like, you know, I think of a lot of that you know, the names that I grew up with. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. If, if you ever get bored, you just start, start Googling like most popular names and like, and then put that like a state or a decade and see how names have changed. Cause even like my name, Jackie, I didn't know a lot of Jackie's. I know a lot more now cause I'm in a city and I network a ton, but I didn't know any growing up. I knew only like two famous ones and it's a name that's really like very not popular right now and so i'm like wow am i gonna be older and my name's gonna sound like like opal my you know my wife's great grandmother's <laughs> name you know like is it gonna sound super old-fashioned that's so weird like it's just me have you seen the names that they're calling children now like i didn't think i was ever gonna be one of those people <laughs> that like made fun of people who they call their babies but it's like they're trying so hard to find that individuality that like what it's is interesting. My, what is my niece's name? Oh no, I'm gonna see her for the first time tomorrow, and I don't even remember <laughs> her name. Okay, don't that's tell normal. them. Don't tell them. Uh, I mean, they're like four months old. It doesn't matter. They're yes. not gonna remember. Um, exactly. Her name is. Oh no. Well, like Maddie I have a Ray, Maddie Ray, or something like that. Oh no, okay. I'm not even sure. But it's spelled really bizarrely, and you yes. know, I used to get upset with people spelling my name wrong. Like, I mean, this was, like, back in the day when I actually cared. I mean, on right. emails, when people still spell my name wrong, it's 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 completely on them because my name is in the freaking email. Like, there's not, it's not necessary for this to happen all the totally. time. But, like, how is that girl going to feel when everyone spells her name wrong? Like, she's going to have to spell her name for everyone every day because it's yep. spelled so bizarrely. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, on the one hand, I get it. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, well, you know, hopefully the kid is cool. Um, and actually, have you ever heard, so the, I listened to the podcast, um, there's a, what is it called? Um, it's the money one, Freakonomics. They did a, a, a podcast that I'm still, 
I still want to call bullshit on about like the long-term financial impact on having a unique or like especially ethnic name. But I listened to the episode and I could uh, again, I'm still like, eh, I don't know. But um her, the woman's name is Marijuana Pepsi. And that was a viral story that went around a while too. Um it's worth listening to. It's it's incredibly fascinating. I um, the, Marijuana the impact, Pepsi. Yes. How and did, the funny thing is, is her siblings how? have completely normal names. So listen to the podcast. Like it's, it's from this summer, um, on Freakonomics. It's absolutely phenomenal. And she gave me a really different take on it. Is this like um, the guy who, who basically wanted to like literally have a social experiment. So he used his own children and like, no, but he's in that podcast too. He's in that podcast. Like they have like really long names and like, yeah. Yeah, that it's a whole it it oh my it's God. so her basically the story is her mom said I looked at you and knew you were gonna take over the world basically and had to give you a name that would really stand out. It's it it was fascinating like it's truly like it it's mind blowing. Um, How did she get the last name Pepsi without getting no? Sued? That's her middle name. That's oh, her middle. Okay, name. okay. I was about to say because like the Pepsi Corporation. I mean, good God. Who knows, right? I don't know. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, names are just, you know, names with people are hard. I, I don't like to name things anyway. I'm I still have a stuffed bear named Bear. Like, I'm like I said, creativity is a little tricky sometimes. But thankfully, our our daughter um, is named named herself because my wife woke up even before we even knew we were gonna physically try to have a kid versus adopt, and she was just like Melody. I'm like, that's a great name. Um, I immediately associate it with Doctor Who. It instantly got even cooler, and so we went with that. Um, and then her middle name is Tamsin, which also comes from a show called uh, – it comes from Lost Girl because Tamsin is, like, this most amazing character. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I we actually spelled it a little different, and that was purely on me because of some old, like, childhood baggage because – to me, I would I expected Tamsin. I didn't even look it up. I should have to be spelled like S I N, even though it's usually S E N. And I was like, I don't want the daughter of two lesbians to have the word sin in her name. And so I we mean, spelled that it. Makes sense. Like I said, baggage. Um, so we we spelled it T A M S Y N. And plus, you know, there is something about putting a Y in a in a name that makes it look cooler. That's why I say I can kind of understand, but I also think it needs to be pronounceable. Right. <laughs> People should be able to look at it and know how to say it. So that's just me personally because it starts to trigger my anxiety of, oh, my God, I'm going to call them the wrong name. I'm not going to spell it right. Uh, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to be, like, seen as that white person that can't pronounce things just because it's not, like, what they're used to. Like, it's think, really not hard everyone, to learn how to pronounce words. I think in everyone most has cases. that problem, though. I don't think that's really a racial issue. I get it that ugh, white people, we just don't. Oh, but there's a lot of white people that don't try. But, yeah. There's a difference between trying and screwing up and not even trying. The people that refuse to say jalapeno and still call it jalapeno, even though, like, you've been corrected 20 times, just I, stop being an ass. Do they know that jalapeno is a car? I don't. I, you it's know, a really shitty car. So yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like, sorry. You don't <laughs> no, like that's where you just go, you know, you just you just give up. Um so because there are people that just don't they they like being an asshole, and I don't want to be that asshole. Um so I like things that I can sound out. 
and figure out. And I really try. Um, I, I often fail. And I also, so I drive Uber um, because self-employment is a challenge. There, there are times I just won't try because I'm like, I, I'm no, I'm going to butcher that. I just say hi and then <laughs> just move on <laughs> because I'd rather not screw it up. Right. Um, but yeah, so names are interesting. I will sometimes crowdsource names, especially for books. Um, titles are super hard. They take me forever because I want them to make sense. I mean, you um, could see from your first book that you really put a lot of effort into it and it pays off. Like, that's really fucking clever. It really just came to mind as I was just kind of thinking of musical stuff. And then, like, A Marine Awakening um, just was thinking about kind of the overall. Like, I'm taking Cam from being this basically scared kid, not really knowing what the hell she was doing where she was, to awakening to like being more herself, um, finding a way to survive the military. Thanks to meeting Sharon and awakening to this whole like love and relationship stuff. Um, and then, um, I struggled with, so I'm writing the sequel to that right now. It moves like five years forward. So they've been together almost six years. Um, and it's this transition time where Cam is getting out of the military. Sharon is staying in, which was always the plan from day one, but you know, you still want to talk about that stuff. And then, so Cam's going to go off to college. Sharon ends up deploying. So she's not even really in the book for the, this whole middle section, um, except through letters. And so Cam now is, is going through this thing of like, she's going to get her autism diagnosis and like start to understand this part of herself, start to discover who she is now with a little more freedom. And then Sharon will come back and then they'll work through this stuff of like, we've been apart now. We've both had some very drastically different experiences and we need to get find that way to reconnect and like work through like some PTSD stuff and just life and like having new terminology for Cam's quirks. And so I was like, man, I, all I know is I want Marine in the title so that it's clearly part of like a continuation of this story. And it took like two months to figure it out. And now I went, oh, wait, this is all about discovery. So now that one's titled A Marine Discovery. Um, and then at one of my early readers, um, who she's going she's not a published author yet, but she does write. Um, and I, I'd read enough of her stuff to know she, that she wasn't a total hack type of a person where I'd regret making this um, offer. But I've, I introduced some new side characters in Marine Discovery, um, one of which is, um, in in cam's command her one um her gunny who was also one of her drill instructors so she's a very important person to cam someone she deeply respects um and who also scares the crap out of her because that they really go hand in hand in the military sometimes um and there's this interaction that they have and my reader was like oh my god is gunny gay make her gay please let gunny be gay i'm like (laughs) hadn't thought about it i didn't expect her to even show back up really except maybe in like a passing comment and then i thought about him like well cam is going to school oh my god what if we have gunny involved with one of cam's professors and then i was like you know it would actually be and we just kind of brainstormed on it which had fun with it and i was like you know it'd be really fun as if we like wrote this together like let's make the professor british and then you write like her perspective and I write the gunny's perspective and this could be a freaking fun as hell. And it would overlap as well with the book I'm writing. And so 
this is how I've, again, stumbled into writing, in essence, two books at once. (laughs) (laughs) Stumbled into just saying, we're going to co-write this, and we're having a blast. I mean, this has been ridiculous fun. It's been the easiest way to build characters because someone else's ideas, like we're throwing this stuff back and forth so quickly that it's very easy to get to who these characters are um, instead of it just me churning in my brain and then finally going, okay, now I'm stuck. Now I'm going to go talk to my friend who is very much game for any brainstorming. Um, But, you know, it's like, for me, writing is very collaborative because my experiences, as vast as they are, are still very limited. And being able to talk to different people and get these different perspectives is, it makes writing infinitely easier, faster, and I get a much much richer story and a better book in the end. Um, right. So, so you write wrote your books not in chronological order. Because it sounds Correct. like the first book was about the future. It is. And it's almost like, I don't, I I still will probably do like a short story that happens after the end of Del Segno. But it's like, it, it, it really feels like that's, that's the end of Cam's kind of story arc, you know? And while these are romances, it is also very much Cam's long life growth story. And so there's a lot of meaty stuff to play with before then. And so it, it, I mean, like I said, I didn't intend to write anything. And then I definitely didn't intend to write more than one book. So it was just, I wrote this book and I didn't really know what the backstory was. Um, which means I wrote myself into a, a couple corners, not very many, thankfully, but a couple that then created some, some timeline, hard stops basically when I decided to dive in and write the prequel because I was like you know what I really I think I need to write it for me personally and just started writing it and it was just like yeah there's a lot of stuff to go into here um and partly because I really want the especially now that don't ask don't tell is gone and it's been gone since 2011 which is amazing to me um there's a whole generation that probably doesn't know it happened and definitely doesn't know what it was like to live under it. And so I wanted to, to at least share one instance of what it was like um, and to help people understand like how challenging it was and especially to have a relationship within those confines, a relationship that no one can find out about unless you absolutely trust them. And like they need to understand the implications. They cannot be casual. So it's not that you just go, oh, they don't care about gay people. They're fine. I can talk to them about it. They need to be smart enough not to run their mouth either. So it's a very scary time when you're in a position where these are the people that are supposed to have your back. These are the people that you're supposed to be able to trust no matter what. Because if you went to war, they're supposed to keep you alive and vice versa. But there's this policy that says you can't share this incredibly important part of your life with anyone or you could get kicked out. And there's this policy that basically gives other people free reign to be bigoted assholes. So when in, in when I wrote Del Segno, I knew in the back of my mind, well, one, that, she, that Cam needed a best friend. And I, I basically, I wrote my best friend into the story 
I didn't even ch- I changed her last name, but her name is Sarah. She's Sarah in the book. It's a fictionalized version of Sarah, and Sarah was involved with this process the whole time anyway. She thinks it's hilarious, and we crack up on the things that like fictional Sarah says or does compared to real Sarah. But um, the in Del Segno, I hint that Sarah did something really freaking big for Cam at some point in the past, so she gets a lot more rope before she would maybe get in trouble for saying things versus anyone else. So when I wrote Marine Awakening, I knew I needed to write what really happened, but fictionalized. Um, In order to also show life during Don't Ask, Don't Tell could be really fine or it could be really bad. So I didn't know this happened until I was writing Del Segno. So This was a secret kept from me for 19-ish years. But when we were both in Pensacola in school, uh, this was at a time when I was very isolated because I didn't, again, I didn't know who I could trust or what I could say. Plus, super shy, introverted. It was just, it was an awkward time. I had one friend and he was in the other barracks and he was was awesome. Um, But during this time, I still hadn't met Sarah. Sarah had recently arrived she's in a different MOS. So a job than what I was. So we didn't have anything that really overlapped much. Um, but she was out walking with some of the guys from her school, um, which are ordinance. They help load bombs onto planes and stuff. They blow stuff up. They're interesting people. (laughs) And so they, um, so they were walking and she overheard some guys like specifically mentioned me by name, while they were saying things like, you know, I'm sick of all this this homo shit and and we need to do something about it and like actively threatened rape against me personally. Um and what then the fuck? Yeah, so I mean, I'm glad she didn't tell me about this cuz I was paranoid enough. I didn't need reality to be even more scary. Um but what happened is even though there were all the, she was with a couple other guys with her, she just went up on them. She slammed one of the guys up against the wall, pretty much had him hanging up. Like she was a fighter. She's strong. She knew what the fuck she was doing. Um, and basically just threatened the hell out of them, threatened to just beat the living crap out of them. If they did anything and scared the daylights out of them. Yes. So Sarah's a badass, and that's the day she earned the nickname Callie, like the goddess of war Callie. Like, I will fuck you up, Callie. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, so I never knew, and actually it's Kali, I guess, um, but I just assumed since Sarah's from California that that's why people called her Callie. Oh I genuinely gosh. didn't know. Um, I, didn't, I don't ask a lot of questions in my life a lot of times, to be honest. Um, and so I just kind of was like... and. And the thing is, she didn't even know me. She knew of me. She knew that I stayed in my room and I played guitar and that was like it. I mean, she and she knew I was obviously super fucking gay, even though I didn't say anything. And so, I mean, later she invited me and my my ex um, complicated story um, out to go study with them, which really just meant. I don't know. They actually studied, but there was a lot of beer involved. I don't even remember how that night really ended very well. But um, basically, we became friends. And we have, I mean, we've been friends for 20 freaking years now. And she's the godmother of my child. Like, she's 
a very very we are very much family we joke that we are platonic life mates like she's like we're like like platonic non-religious sister wives like that's how close (laughs) we are as family um even though she lives in oregon like um she's very much family um so it was but i you know and i was like it's hard to write a, a scene like that where you know it's potentially triggering at the same time it's the only way to drive the reality of that time home without actually writing some of these horrific experiences that other people have had. But I wanted it to be plant the seed of like realizing like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're having a great time and they're finding a way around the policy. And, you know, like real, really like except for Cam getting scared sometimes. Is there really an issue? Is it really that bad? Oh, that's right. These people can just threaten to rape people and say super homophobic things. And you can't even say anything because it could get you in trouble and get you investigated and kicked out, even though they're the ones in the wrong. Exactly. That's what, that's all these freaking homophobic laws do is make people yes. feel like that they can do whatever they want. Yep. And it breaks down any opportunity for people to like learn about people who are different. Because I still would have had a hard time in the fleet. It's... You know, figuring out how to interact with people is really tough. So it was always going to be difficult. But if I could have been open, we would have found that common ground. It would have been fine. There would have been a couple people that I gravitate to more naturally. But we could have actually, like, just talked like normal human beings. And I did slowly, like, trust one or two people and stuff. And there was one guy... I am forever grateful to him because even though we'd never been honest, like I'd never told him anything. Um, but um, again, it's not hard to look at me and go, yeah, you're probably really freaking gay. Um, but he did tell me, he's like, look, they're gunning for you and you need to be really careful. And like I said, it's not like we were, we ever hung out or anything. He was just doing the right damn thing. Um, and so I'm forever grateful because I was able to put things into motion to save my own ass rather than getting into some major trouble. Um, and it's, it's that time period was rough because people didn't know what to do. And I also learned later that, you know, the way they handled my discharge, like I was out within 20 days that it, they accelerated it. If they had gone the normal length of time, I would have naturally hit two years and got my benefits, so I'm a little frustrated with this whole, like, hey, let's expedite you kicking your ass out. Um, but because of all that process and because of the way I was treated, it opened other people's eyes and there were more people willing to stand up and protect other people. So it sucked for me, but I, it meant that it made lives easier for the people that came after me. And so at least with that, I can go, all right, some good came out of it. And in the end, I was fine. I mean, I'm still dealing with the baggage. But I mean, in the end, my life is okay. Like, it's not like it derailed my life. It's just a really harsh life lesson in, you know, like the people that are supposed to have your back aren't always going to have your back. And, you know, you got to figure figure out different ways and maybe learning how to find a community in, in different places. I don't know. I'm, it's, it's a life lesson. I'm still working on it. Absolutely. I'm just 
I'm so sorry to hear that happen to you. And I just, it's, it's just so frustrating. Like people just don't get it. Like I wasn't even in the military and I had no idea about any of that, but I knew that it wasn't good. And then hearing, right. <laughs> in, and then hearing this account of how it was, it's just, it frustrates me any, even more. All of the people who say it's fine now, it's fine now, it's fine now. But all of, all of that is still there. Yeah. And like, it's, <sighs> it's very confusing and, and it's based, basically it's, it's bigotry finding just enough truth and, and, or not even just something that sounds true enough to get their policies enacted. And I mean, I, I haven't actually met her in person, but there's an amazing woman here. She transitioned a few years ago. She was an infantry Marine, like an officer and ended up like going and becoming like a lawyer. Um, and then she's all set to go back into the Marine Corps, like as a woman, like she's, everything was fine. And then they enacted the trans ban and now she's in a holding pattern. She's a badass, and it's just like one great example of a policy that protects no one keeping someone out who would be a great contribution to the military. Um, it's just, it's completely illogical. There's, there's, it, granted, bigotry is not logical, right? Um, but it's frustrating. And I know what it felt like to live under that. And even just being, uh, I, I often like the term gender queer. Um, for me, butch is very much a, a gender identity is more than a sexuality identity. Um, but being very, very much not woman, right? Like, um, there, there are things that are challenging in the military, even if you just aren't gender conforming, much less if you're trans. So being able to serve while trans and not as your correct gender is ridiculously hard. So to say, oh, like, you're not, you don't belong here. Like, are you kidding? They have more guts than anyone else. And they're dealing with so much more than anyone else. And if they still want to serve a country that doesn't give a fuck about them most of the time, let them. Like, this is completely idiotic. I mean, that was one of the things that I, I'm still torn about. Like, serving a country that's, I mean, like, we, my wife and I got married in Canada in 2004. The first time we actually got to use any of those benefits were when Obama told the IRS to say, let people file jointly if they've, you know, if they've got paperwork. That was like 2013. And we still weren't recognized as married until we moved to Colorado. Like, you know, like we spent dec a decade together where nothing counted. And my wife's current health challenges are directly related to that because I couldn't ever put her on insurance and we didn't have the money to get her separate insurance. So she ended up with a seizure disorder and multiple concussions and chronic Lyme and all these things that make it so that on a good day, she can cook on a bad day. She's going to be in bed all day. And there's a lot of bad days. And that's entirely because of bigotry in this country. And people don't recognize, like, the implications. They're like, but, it, so it's like, when I say things like, I will never vote for a Republican until I die, because it has made too 
harmful of an impact to my life personally and because they still can't develop the freaking courage to say, hey, maybe this isn't okay. And maybe we should just let people just live and have basic access to rights and and services and all of those things. Like, no, I cannot get past that. So, you know, like, it's better. Boy, is it better. I mean, as the tail end of the pre-Ellen generation, like, it's a lot better. But there's still so much more that we can do. And I feel like fiction is an incredibly accessible way to make things better by showing, you know, the lives of people who are different from us, even within the community, because we know the community, the queer community struggles. We've got gatekeepers and people who are trying to say this, that, and the other because of their own biases and their own bigotry. And so if, if I can write a character that makes people think just a little bit differently. And even if it's only making the community a little more accepting, that's huge. And that's worth all of the lost hours of sleep and the time away from my family to write these stories. That and is, it, it's mattering. It makes a difference. That is amazing. I, I have literally nothing to follow that up with. Like... <laughs> Like, put it on a mural. Put it somewhere. It needs to be heard. It needs to be said a thousand times. Like, holy shit. I'm... I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's the power of representation, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I am... <sighs> I need a minute. <laughs> speechless. This is what speechless feels like. Right? And you know what's funny is what really made me recognize it and like cognitively understand it was I was in Abu Dhabi for work training when I was working at Schlumberger. So the oil and gas stuff, I became instant friends with the, the coolest woman from Australia. And we both were bonding over like nerdy things like doctor who and stuff. And her parents are originally from India and she was telling me how growing up they watched Doctor Who and I don't I didn't watch the old stuff but there's a character who was Indian and she said just seeing him on screen made such an impact to her and I'm like wow like it it never it never really clicked how important something that small on the outside was and then I started thinking about like how how much more I relate to like a TV show when there's something in a character that I that I can really like grab onto, whether it was, you know, bones and her inability to read people and stuff or just reading or watching anything with any queer character at all. Right. Like our, our, our bar is so low that we're like, they're not straight or even if they are straight it's just like a woman that isn't a typical woman is like enough for me to go oh my god I love them you know <laughs> we, we're we're just so starved for representation that it doesn't even matter if it's problematic representation sometimes it's just better than nothing but now I feel like this is the time in, in the world where we go we can ask and create better than good enough 
we can actually just write the stories we want to write and we can make the content we want to make. And it's maybe a little harder, but it's actually possible now with YouTube and, you know, web series and crowdfunding. All of this stuff is accessible. We have self-publishing. Without self-publishing, we're limited to the gatekeepers at traditional publishers, which is why you end up with, I don't even care if they're a bestseller or anything. I almost by default ignore traditional publishers because the stories they tell are stories where our life is suffering. We end up facing violence and we're depressed and everything around us sucks. There's no happy endings in most traditional fiction books. It makes queer life depressing and awful. And you know what? Life is depressing enough. The administration is frustrating enough. I want happy endings. I want women falling in love with women. I want to be, I want hope that there are other options in the world. I don't need to be reminded of all the shitty things that happen to people. Like maybe that, I mean, granted, there's that level of attractiveness maybe when you're a teenager and that drama is like huge, but I'm 40. I don't need drama. (laughs) I don't need all this angst. Like I can handle a certain amount of angst and there are certain writers that I will trust with angst no matter what, because I know they're not going to trick me and that everything's going to work out in the end. (laughs) This is why I mostly read romance, but right. Like, we we have the power now to create the representation that we want to see and that's what i'm doing i you know like when i when i decided to branch out and and take a step away from cam and her world and just let it simmer for a while i ended up writing a, so the new book is rising from ash and um in that i've got a character based a lot on my wife and some of her life with Phoenix who's she uses sex to cope it's like life sucks and my life is pure garbage and sex is simple and it's all-encompassing and it, it allows her to escape from everything so for her like sex is just like oh today was a shitty day I'm gonna go find someone But because of all the shitty things in her life, she's like, I'm not going to risk relationships and love or anything. I'm not putting my heart on the line because it's been broken too many times as it is for my family. And I don't know that I could handle that. So she is very much a player, but a respectful player. (laughs) She's not trying to hurt people. She's just trying to protect herself. Which is better than half the people around here. (laughs) Right. I, yeah, I'd like, I'm very accepting of that. Um, I am not so understanding of the I don't care who I stomp on thing those are assholes and I'm not a fan of assholes Mm -hmm. but with so with Phoenix it was you know she's not she's not instantly a likable character for everyone um, which readers have admitted to but by the end they love her which was the whole point Um, but um, so to escape her life she ends up with the opportunity to be a cook for a year at the South Pole Um. In which I've I've spent two weeks at the South Pole, so it was a I was like I just need an excuse to put a story at the South Pole. This is what I ended up I mean, with. <laughs> if you want to be away from people, that sounds like the best place to go. It's a you know what? No one can find you. It's not even easy to call there. You don't even have internet for half the day. So I mean, it's a good place to escape. And her aunt just happens to work like HR and staffing for the South Pole or for the Antarctica program, so it it worked out. And there she meets. Um, Ashley or Ash, 
who is an astrophysicist, but the thing is, Ash is on the asexual spectrum. And this is something that I've been exploring, and I'm still trying to explore and understand, um, because labels are really, really hard for my brain to grasp sometimes, um, because there's never a hard cutoff. Even when there should be, people manage to blur lines. And so I struggle with labels a lot, which is why... I still haven't figured out what pronouns pronouns I would want to settle on. And I think I just go with whatever um, and may never decide that. But that's that's neither here nor there right now. Um, so um, so I wanted to play around with this idea of like you take two people who approach sex and intimacy from like the complete opposite sides of the spectrum. For Phoenix, intimacy is a no-no. Sex is always a go. For Ash, intimacy is a requirement, and sex is not going to happen without intimacy. And I, I do have her be demisexual so that it's a little easier to work with, um, and also for me to kind of explore that that gray area even within the asexual spectrum. But she, um, she very much is not going to be the person that's going to jump into bed with anyone, um, even when she really likes them. And so it was it was definitely the scariest book release I've had so far. Um, it's the scariest book to release because even within the asexual spectrum, just like the queer community, there there are gatekeepers, there are people that have very strong opinions and about how people should be as an asexual person even. And I read a couple books as research. And I was like, wow, I really enjoyed this. This was really interesting. And then I went and read the comments and, oh, my God, don't do that. Um, Goodreads is a very scary place sometimes, especially as a writer. Like, if you're an author, don't. Okay, yeah, don't, 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 do, don't do what I do and go to Goodreads and try to read your comments. Um, what I do is I look at my ratings and then I decide if I can scroll. Um, when they're good, then I, I, I go and read them and it's fine. Um, but if, if I start seeing low numbers on it, then I go find someone else and say, please go look at them and see if there's anything written and if there's anything constructive in them. Because writer hearts are very sensitive <laughs> and they can really, it can really throw you off to read a bad review, um, even when it's fair. And actually, I, I did have some constructive criticism on Rising from Ash, and I'm still not sure how to work with it because I focused entirely on asexuality. I didn't look at aromanticism because... My characters were, were romantic. They're not aromantic. And um, apparently some of my word choices may have been accidentally sounding anti-aromatic, which definitely was never intentional and not like that's not a it's I don't know. It's something I'm still working through because I'm there is a sequel to this book and I'm planning a second uh, a, like an offshoot sequel where like there's a side character that gets a a non-binary um, ace character. Um, I want to write their story, but that's going to take a while. That's probably like two years down the line. Cause I have a lot of research to do and, and really like, I'm still trying to understand like a romanticism and that part of the spectrum because I really struggle with like even reading the definitions and like, just saying, oh, well, that's someone who's not interested or not romantically attracted to people. I'm like, I don't understand what that means. That still doesn't mean something tangible to me. And I, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that's just the autism is rebelling 
Like that part of my brain is saying, we need a concrete definition. You need to give us some very real examples. These do not suffice. <laughs> and so it's writing underrepresented characters can be really tricky in that way. Um, which is why I've started with representations that I experienced directly myself. Um, but only like snippets of it. I mean, I think that's the best way to approach it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of own voices. Um, I realized after a while, so my whole life, even before autism was a word I could apply to myself, I read to learn about other people and to understand people and to just even be like, who am I supposed to be? Because um, that's a very common element with people who are autistic is we 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 know we don't function the way everyone else does. We know we're a little weird or maybe very weird. And so in order to fit in, we have to observe what other people do and just try to copy it. So reading for me was the way that I did that even before I realized it. And now I do it on purpose. I'm like, I don't have the first clue how people function. I'm going to keep reading these books and, and at least get this perspective and that perspective. And eventually I fill my bucket enough that I feel like I can create, like mold the character and, and create a character that is, you know, consistent and not going to be a situation where you go, wait, that just came out of left field. Cause that drives me nuts when I read a book and it's just like, Oh, and then boom. And you're like, wait, I don't understand how this happened. Um, that's also why I tend to write slow burn romances because I want to see the relationship develop. Exactly. I don't want to be just told that like, Oh wow. I'm just really drawn to them. So like, you know, now we just spend all our time together and now we're in love and you're like, wait, but how, what is it that did that? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm still very much a, you know, like there's draw and a pull, but there should be something about the character and a person that you could kind of point to and say, you know what, that moment is when I realized this about them. You know, like, I've, I really enjoy seeing that progress on the, on the page. And partly because I don't know what's going on in people's heads. And it gives me that insight into especially neurotypical people. Like, what is that? I don't even know what that's like. Or even like regular, like allosexual people. What's it like to just like walk down the street and look at someone and go, oh man, like it would actually be kind of awesome to just have sex with that person. Like they're not going to do it, but to have that attraction. I could like, not explain that to you. I don't, I don't particularly, I, I am also beside you here where I have no idea how people do that. And, and, and that's, what's interesting. So the more I talk to people, there are a lot of people that I think don't realize that they would definitely fit under the demisexual umbrella, meaning that they do not experience sexual attraction to any people unless they have this connection to them that they, that they, they, and, and that connection can happen quickly. Like you could have just a really amazing, intense, like moment with someone you know, where over a very short period of time, that connection could develop and then there's that thing and then now you're attracted to them. But for some people, it takes, it could take months with someone where it's like they're slowly getting to know them and they finally feel like they've got this, like, there's this deep enough connection where like now they feel a sexual attraction to them. And it's not desire. Desire is a completely separate thing. Desire is biology. Your attraction is like, I don't know. It's like a brain spirit thing. 
And so I feel like this is definitely something like we're going to have to break this into two parts because this is just really fascinating. I don't think I'll find anything in here I want to take out because this is just <laughs> that's cool. Like, it's it is long. So we don't want I mean, I know like no one should sit and listen to this just all in one go. That's that's a lot of time. I, I mean, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but I, I'm serious. If you about, want to. I'm serious about maybe having a two parter. Like if you if you have time. Maybe oh, like I maybe time, not, like, like next next yeah. weekend or something. We should probably continue this conversation because I really do want to get more into that because I, as I said before, I don't really have a lot of like I kind of like oh I'm a lesbian and I could just kind of stopped there because I was like I don't need anything else on my plate. Right, right. You're like you're like that should be good enough. And now the world is changing to the point where we're realizing that having having names for things is really important because having names sets expectations. So the more people are familiar even with like things like the asexual spectrum and recognizing like, oh, maybe this like demi label actually fits really well. And now I have words so that if I meet someone and we're really clicking, but maybe they're wanting to move things faster physically than I feel is, is okay. It can be more than just oh, well, can we slow things down because I maybe feel a little uncomfortable or I just want to take more time. But, like, you can actually have a conversation about identity and, like, how my brain and body works. And hopefully, as people read Rising from Ash, they'll have words for it and they'll have context for it. And even an example of how one couple finds a compromise when you've got someone who's very sexual and needs that that connection. They connect through physicality versus the other person who doesn't they they through their explorations find a way that works for them and i I very much drew on my experiences but other asexual spectrum folks and their experiences with how they made kind of mixed relationships work for them and it's still a struggle it is it is not nearly as simple maybe as people who's even their sex drives if when your sex drives match it makes a relationship easy when they don't, there can be resentment and things if you're not talking. Um, and so I wrote that book with that in mind, knowing that a lot of people don't realize they're on the asexual spectrum or they don't realize their spouses or maybe they know, but they don't have the first clue how to talk about it or they don't know how to find a compromise. There's just, and it's, it's way bigger than what the people that identify currently. And so hopefully having, a couple books out there you know there's mine there's jay's there's a couple others that can make you go oh that's what it is maybe that's me and maybe now i know what even just i know where to start researching and to start exploring and because representation isn't just for the people that identify as that or the people that love people that identify as that representation it's for the people that don't realize that representation representation directly applies to them and that could completely change someone's life Exactly. I completely, 100% agree with you. Holy shit. I, I feel like I have nothing to contribute to this conversation because you're just hitting every note just right on there. Like, I completely agree with you in almost every aspect. And I'm just, like, completely enthralled. And now I'm, like, upset that I have to... Go back. <laughs> that, I have to, that I have to do something other than talk to you right now. That's okay. <laughs> I, I do, too. You know, like, we... That's the thing. Talking about this stuff, especially when you write about it, you spend so much time in it and really thinking about it. And I, I worked so hard to not offend anyone in the book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
I went that's, through. And I imagine that's a really hard thing to do. It's it's hard because there are so many ways, and and I don't want I don't say it flippantly, but it's it's very easy. I mean, I've got words that that they hit me weird, and I go ah, and then I go, was that intentional? No. Okay, just keep going. Or like, does that match the character? And and hopefully the character grows so that I don't end up hating them in the end. Um, so, you know, it's everyone has their thing. Um, but I worked very hard to at least avoid the big pitfalls. And so I've just spent a lot of time thinking about all this stuff. Way too much, probably. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, hopefully people start taking it a little more seriously and, and just recognizing the impact that their words have and their choices have. And I guess I'll leave it on this note, which is being considerate of things like triggers and respecting identities and things like that. It's, it's not easy. Sometimes it can make you have to work harder, but I found that every time that I challenge myself to, to avoid an, an easy, casual use of a word that maybe in some other identity would be considered a slur or just hurtful, I always end up with a better written moment or a better paragraph or whatever. It always makes the book better and it makes the story stronger because you have to really think out of the box. So to me, it's actually a benefit and it makes me a better writer to be as respectful as possible of people's identities and and trying to be inclusive and so to me i view it as a plus even if at that moment i'm a little annoyed because i can't find the right words it always ends up being a bonus in the end i would applaud but i don't know how my microphone will catch that yeah noise. let's not break it <laughs> so, i don't know how it's going to catch that noise and i feel like it's going to do nothing but like clip and have bad like, exactly sounds but i'm applauding in my mind for you cool um let's let's move on to the next subject because unfortunately we do have to cut this yep. short at some point um the guest to guest question which yeah. is when my guest from the last podcast asked my guest from this podcast uh, a question without knowing who each other are uh your question is which actually kind of ties in a little bit for what we were talking about for representation which is, if you could be a part of any TV family, which family would you be a part? Oh, that's tough. I know. It's a really tough one. It's it's tough. Um, I'm going to play fast and loose with the term family, since yeah, I think found, that's, found that's family, pretty common. Found family is also yeah. acceptable. Um, hmm. My answer would probably change based on, like, the month or the week. But I think right now, I think I'm going to go with, um, like, Supergirl. You know, you're not the first person who said that. <laughs> Other ones that I would pick just to, like, play the fandom game um, would be, like, Buffy. Nice. Um, and And actually, even though now we've learned some things that are problematic about it, but, like... Um, the, the NCIS crew. <laughs> like, these are my go-tos when I'm like, the world sucks. I need to believe there are good people in the world. And that's kind of where I go to. Um, so, yeah, like, things like that are, like, bones. Where, like, I feel like there'd be, like, a lot of good people around me that would, like, lift me up as a person. 
like and challenge me to be better like um yeah and we'd get to do cool things like save people and help people and like be badasses absolutely so what would be your question for my next guest um so I would so like in an ideal world where you have like all the money, power and influence in order to make it happen, what like movie or TV show like would you like to see made? Whether that's like the adaptation of like your favorite books or just like what would be your ideal representation to see on the screen where you'd be like this is my favorite thing ever. That's What would be your answer to that? Um, that would change all the time, honestly, but actually, <laughs> um, I am applying for the second time. I almost made it in last time to this, uh, veteran writings program where they spend a year mentoring you on writing a screenplay and getting you the connections and all that stuff so that you could potentially make a movie. And, um, my, my ideal proposal is a romantic comedy with a, uh, a woman probably like, you know, in her early thirties or late twenties who just dreams of, um, being out in the, out in the like nature and being like super outdoorsy and stuff, but she is too scared to do it. And so, um, I'm not going to get into the details because the legal part of my brain says, don't let anyone steal your idea. But basically (laughs) it'd be a romantic comedy with her and like her kind of like finding her courage and all that stuff. Um, with a, a ridiculously awesome um, woman who like works at REI or something, um, nice. and like I would, ve- I very much would want her to be like a, a veteran um, and a woman of color, um, and like the lead. Actually, I don't really care what she would be like. I feel like a good stereotype would be that she would just be kind of a typical white girl, um, but whatever, you know? Um, but I've definitely want, um, the, the love interest to be a woman of color, um, both for the representation of just having people of color on screen, but also because there's a distinct lack of people of color using the great outdoors for some reason. And, um, this is just like, there's, it's, it's like a really subtle thing, but I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who's a, uh, she's amazing and she's a Navy vet and, um, a, a, she's also black and so we've had this conversation about like representation and even like how weird it is that like you go to like national parks and it's mostly going to be foreign tourists and white people and it's like why aren't black people getting out and so maybe like something just as subtle as like seeing a black woman out in the wilderness you know being competent and badass and awesome might just be like wait we need to get more people in general out into the like national parks and the state parks and in Colorado that's everywhere. So it's it's the subtle little representation sometimes that you don't even realize are missing until you think about it and you talk to people and then you go, "Yeah, that's right. Why aren't people doing this?" Okay, we need to do something about that. So Absolutely. that's what I would like to see. Absolutely. And then like just way more romantic comedies um and stuff like that, the happy stuff. I want happy representation. We need more gay romantic comedies. We are severely lacking, and we haven't really had a good win since 2014. Yeah. And even now, I'm okay with, like, I, I love Imagine Me and You. Some people don't because of the whole cheating element and stuff, and I'm like, yep, don't care. I like, I like Still love it. face better. I know that somebody will hunt me down for it, but I, I, I haven't watched it. Myself. It's good. I I'll mean, it's still to. cheesy. It's still, it's like still cheesy romantic comedy, but it's, it's really good. And it, it's like, it 
completely features the Asian culture and it's just, it's really good. Cool. I think, I'm now that I think about it, I don't remember seeing any white people in that movie, which is probably just better. me. It's probably just me because I think there were like a couple, but they're, they don't matter. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So yeah, I like the, you know, the response that people had to like things like crazy rich Asian, Asians and stuff like that. And they're like, well, it's it's really just like any other of these movies, just with like Asians or whatever. Like you can fill in the blank with the like very few representing stories out there. And they're like, yeah, don't you think it's our turn to simply just have any of the 20,000 other white people movies that you guys have where we just are successful and fall in love and are happy? Like, we only get one. That's all you need. We get one movie, and then that apparently checks the box, and then we just keep repeating the same movies over and over with white casts and mostly dudes. Like, that's not how representation works. <laughs> it's like, we, we're allowed to just, like, you know, like, we're allowed to want the Hallmark version, and we're allowed to have hard-hitting, and we're allowed to have everything, because that's representation, and it, it's better for everyone. So, yeah, I, mean, I just want happy... Stop being movies. so self-centered maybe one day maybe, maybe one day we'll be able to do things without constantly having people be like whatever yep. they say because i just tune them out at this point exactly uh, so you where can, do. can people find you um i mostly focus on twitter as far as like updates as far as writing go um i'm butch jacks on twitter um and then on Facebook, um, if you look up Jax Meyer author on Facebook, I'm there. Um, and speaking of spelling, it's M-E-Y-E-R and pronounced Meyer. Depending on what part of the country you're from, that gets pronounced and spelled completely different all the time. I feel you. And then um, I do have a website um, where it's jaxmeyerauthor.wixsite.com because Wix is easy. Um, and eventually I'll get like a real website. Um, but I am trying to... But I usually cross post, um, like when I put a blog up, I'll put it up on Twitter so people can see it. So it's like Twitter is the best place to go to start. Um, and I do send out newsletter things. So that signups on the blog, I'm pretty sure all my books are available exclusively on Amazon because that's where you make the most money as a self-published author. Um, but if anyone listening to this happens to be like for some reason in a country where you don't have an Amazon like Kindle store, just send me a message and I will get my books to you. Um, Ooh, I that's keep every good information. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. It's an annoying thing. Um, and so I have sent out books to a couple different people. Like it'll, it'll be the ebook, obviously, like something simple. But um, because again, I'd rather have people have access. Um, and let's see. Um, so yeah, so all my books are on there. I keep them in Kindle Unlimited. Um, at some point. I might start taking them wide, and when you take them wide, it takes them out of Kindle Unlimited. But for the foreseeable future, they're going to stay in Kindle Unlimited for a while. Um, that way they're accessible. And all of them are in work or uh, uh, to be an audiobook. So Del Segno is already in Audible, and it's in the iTunes store um, with audio. And um, and then that's narrated by Stephanie Murphy, who does a lot of lesbic and is queer herself, so that's awesome. Um She's currently recording the Marine Awakening audiobook, and um, I'm trying. I like. I'm trying to keep consistency with narrators, so hopefully she'll do the next one as well. And then um, Rising from Ash will have a different narrator. I actually just this morning got the first fifth, 
the first like 15 minute like first chapter preview um so the way audible works is they record the first 15 you listen to it and you say yes or no you can approve it you can still give them notes and they can go back and re-record it later um so she's actively um working on rising from ash right now and i'm super excited um her audition was like she just jumped into my head and knew exactly where i was going with the tone that's amazing uh, yeah it's hard because i feel like it, anyone who grew up in you, you know like watching things like Buffy and um well anything in the Whedon verse or um like Gilmore Girls and stuff and even like designing women like there's a cadence and there's this there's this dialogue focus that is is very much in my books and it's what's in my head when I'm writing it is it's all about the dialogue and the interactions and it's it's kind of upbeat and um like um, but not like overly so. So I was really glad when she was able to get like the sarcasm and um, just where I was going. Um, so that that's pretty cool and exciting. So um, because I'm a huge audio listener, uh, because I drive a lot, and if I'm at home, I'm going to be writing, not reading usually. Audiobooks are huge. So every single one of my books is an audio. Um, we usually have free codes. So um, I usually give away plenty of free codes. Um, if you've never used audiobooks, send me a message and I'll send you not only the book, but it, it, it's like I get a little bonus for signing you up and stuff. So if you end up liking audiobooks, cool, it's a way to support an author. Um, but if nothing else, like we still get paid even for these free codes. So if people are like, yeah, I don't know, but I'm willing to try an audiobook, cool, send me a message. I will send you a code and you could try it out. And I always give the caveat that one person can love a narrator and another person can hate the same narrator. Um, there's one narrator that I'm not super fond of that does a lot of lesbian romance. Um, and I just kind of suck it up because I'd rather listen to the book and be able to actually read it than wait a year before it finally, I have time to read it on my Kindle. So, um, yeah, I try to keep things super accessible and if, and I'm obviously I chat a lot. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out. <laughs> Um, you can email me, um, jacksmeyerauthor, like, or jacks.meyer.author, whatever. Gmail doesn't care, because it's Gmail. It's Gmail. Um, and so, yeah, I'm on Facebook, I'm in groups, I'm on Twitter, and if you really love, like, lesbian fiction and lesbian romance, go to lesficlove, all one word, um, dot slack dot com, and, um, I'm pretty sure that's the one that you can sign up. There's a group of us, there's a bunch of authors there, mostly indie authors, we do a monthly book club, um, We've got places for people to ask questions about writing, people to talk about books. We just talk about random stuff. Give it a day or two. It's almost guaranteed someone's going to mention boobs. Um, but, <laughs> you know, like, it's just a thing. But, I mean, it's still, like, most of the time we're very well behaved. Um, but things occasionally go a little off the rail. And then then there's, like, random gifts. And you're like, that's a little interesting. Okay, we need to make these go away. There's not going to be nudity, though. I'm just Oh, saying. that's good. But, but we play a lot. I mean, people are pretty fun and, and stuff. So, I mean, that's I, – I credit that group entirely for making me a good author and oh, able to publish wow. and be reasonably successful. And I've got writing buddies there. That's where I'm co-writing with um, um, with my friend. Um, and I've tagged her quite a bit on recent posts on Twitter. Um so her name her pen name is l armstrong and uh yeah we're having a blast so yeah if you like updates about that cool 
I do have an Instagram. I occasionally post things on it, but it's all going to be on Twitter anyway. So Twitter is my, my writing world. So. Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, we're definitely going to have you back on because I feel like we still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and uh, there's just not enough hours in the day. Never is. <laughs>